Um, hey, would you open up your Bibles <clears throat> to the book of Ecclesiastes? That's where we're at. We are in three, uh, week three of a six-week um, study through the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're, we're calling this study or this series, we're calling it the radical middle. The radical middle. Um, and this week, the title of my message is called, When You're Getting Worked by Work. When, when you're getting worked by work. Anyone ever been worked by work? You're trying to work it, but you're just getting worked by it. Um, how, do we, how do we live a life where we don't get worked by work? That's what we're going to talk about. Let me pray and ask God's blessing for this, uh, this time of teaching, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, that even when I'm singing to you with my church family with me, and I can hear others and myself and the band singing toward us, but when I'm singing to you, I'm talking about who you are, and I'm getting strengthened by it. It's a crazy thing to worship a living and active relational God who knows me and wants the best for me and knows the person to my left and to my right, knows the person, the father like me in, you know, across the, the globe, um, that when we come to you, you are, you're waiting for us. You have things you want to say to us. So Lord, we just want to tell you right now as we open your word that um, we are going to open up our situations we are going to open up our homes. We are going to open up our hearts. We are going to open up our minds. And we're just going to ask, Lord, and believe that you would speak to us, that you would help us to grow and help us to be encouraged. And, Lord, would you help us to not get worked by our work? We love you. We thank you for this time. We pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> hey, if you're new this morning, because I noticed there are some new faces, uh, hi, my name is JJ. It's nice to meet you. We hope you're feeling welcome and that somebody said hi to you and you grabbed a cup of coffee and you're chilling. Um, I, two weeks ago, we started a series called um, The Radical Middle. And it's just uh, a, a going through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. He was a king. He was David of David and Goliath. Maybe you heard of that story. He was David's son. And David built this amazing kingdom, and, and Solomon, his son, took it over. Solomon, it tells us, was a very, very, very wise king. As a matter of fact, in the way the Bible puts it, is there was no one who equaled him in wisdom. There was actually also no one who equaled him in vastness of a kingdom. He was balling. He was in the, the richest time in Israel's history, Solomon was the king. It says that gold was so common, or silver was so common, they didn't even really talk about it. They talked about the cities that he built, the structures that he built, the fame that spread, his fame spread throughout the land. And then he writes this book, probably a little later in his life. Um, he writes a few books of uh, the Bible. Proverbs is written by Solomon, one of my personal favorite books because it's these rad, like uh, machine gun um, bits of wisdom. So there's 31, a proverb a day keeps the devil away, um, or at least at bay. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, he wrote Proverbs. He also writes Ecclesiastes, which is like a personal journal of a king later in life. And this is, this is what he concludes. What is the point? I have gained all of these things. I'm still empty. I have had all this stuff. I still want more. What is the point? And so there's this term that comes up over and over and over in Ecclesiastes, and it's this. Uh, vanity or meaninglessness, or grabbing after smoke. It means like it looks like something, and then you grab it, and it's just whoosh, vapor. 
So that's what he says. And then another thing he says a bunch of times is, there is an evil I have seen, and then this is what he says, under the sun. So we make this conclusion. We're going through, it's taken us six weeks to go through it. But is that under the sun, we won't find the meaning that God would want us to find in our lives. So under the sun is this horizontal, we're born, we have a life, we do some stuff, meet some people, buy some things, sell some things. Hopefully cool stuff happens and then one day you're going to die. Now from this born, life, death, if that's all there is, what Solomon is concluding is no matter how big I get, no matter how much I lose, no matter how cool I am, it's still at the end of the day, what's the point? So last week we talked about the pursuit of pleasure and how we live in a world where it says do what you want because then you'll feel how you want to feel. But the reality is when we pursue pleasure, we'll never be satisfied. But when we are satisfied with what we have, then we can enjoy the pleasure that we have. So we we're, we looked at pleasure last week, pleasure cruise. You can go back and give it a listen on our, on our, you know, if you listen to podcasts or download the app, and all of our messages are archived. This week, I want to start with this saying. There is an evil under the sun, Solomon might say, and here it is. We don't know how to have a proper understanding and engagement with our work. So last week, we talked about the scientific method around pleasure, right? He makes a hypothesis. He says, I perceive that if I can just have as, if I can go to the craziest parties, if I can expand my mind with whatever drugs that are out there, if I can, if I can um, have all of the sexual encounters that I want to have with no strings attached, if I can do all of these things, I'll really find meaning. He gets to the end of that and he was like, nope. So then it's, what does he look? And this week he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at what I do. That's where I'm going to find meaning. And so um, it's as, as, it's as if uh, Solomon says, I set out to find something, meaning. I never found it, but on the way, I found some other things. There's a word for work in, in here in Ecclesiastes. There's kind of three words that you can use interchangeably, okay? You can use work. You can use toil, and you can use um, striving. These are kind of three words that you're going to see. So to strive means to work hard after something, to really give something your everything, and then there's work, and then there's toil, all these words. So it's the things that we do, the things that we build, the things that we work hard for. And along the way, he discovered a couple things. Now, we're going to be in a few different Verses. So we're going to put them up on the screen. You can jot them down. If you're into Bible calisthenics, you can flip to each one, which is awesome. Um, but these would be great for you to think about, talk about in our life groups this week. But l- listen to these. Along the way of finding meaning, which we'll get to, he says, I didn't. He found out a couple of things. He says this, chapter 6, verse 7. All of the toil of man is for his mouth. Yet his appetite is never satisfied. Oh, what a rad saying. You could think about that all day long. All of the toil that we do, it's like eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating, and you're never full. And he says this in chapter 7. He says, behold, this is what I found, says the preacher, which is what he calls himself in uh, the teacher, the collector, Solomon referring to himself while adding one thing to another to find out the scheme of things, as I was trying to figure out this whole point of life stuff, which my soul had sought out repeatedly, but I have not found. He says, one man among a thousand I found, but a woman among these I have not found, which is kind of harsh. We'll talk about relationships and stuff next week. But he says this in verse 29. He says, see, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but man have sought out many schemes. He says, I was looking for meaning in life and my toil and my work and all this. I couldn't figure it out. But he goes, here's what I can figure out. God set it up good at the beginning and we screwed it up. God, when God made work, he made it good. 
but we've set to make a, have a wrong relationship with our work. Did you know that before sin entered the world, there was work? God made work in the Garden of Eden before the snake and the apple and like the whole bit. God entrusted the world to Adam and to Eve. He said, God created mankind in his image. So meaning he gave us authority over the earth, over the animals, over the trees and all of the stuff. And he says, your job is to partner with God in taking care of everything. There was work. Did you know that there'll be work in heaven? You're like, well, heaven sounds horrible. It's actually not. But you will not find your purpose, nor will you have a toil be meaningless. You will actually experience fulfillment in a way in which you were created to experience it. And God created you to use who you are to make the world a better place. The problem is, is we don't know how to have the right relationship with it. So here's his, hypoth- here, here's his latest hypothesis, because pleasure didn't work. So he's going to look to all of his work and toil and striving now. And here's what he says. If I have wealth, I'll have worth. Have you ever felt that? It's a mantra of our, of our day and age. You want worth? Get wealth. Then people will see you. They'll see all, all that you have. And then here's another hypothesis. If I work hard enough and make it to the top, I'll be fulfilled. I'll find satisfaction. So let's look at work under the sun. The way we go about it, the way we go about our work and our striving and our toil under the sun. So apart from God's perspective. So under the sun is not taking in our relationship to God into consideration. It's just looking like the world looks, doing what the world does. Here's what Solomon Solomon saw, and he's going to throw us some facts. Under the sun, he might say, There are glitches in the system. There are glitches in the the under-the-sun system. Let's look at a couple of them. First thing is everything we do is temporary. No matter how good you are at it, no matter how much time you spend doing it, it is temporary. Look at these verses. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 23. Solomon says this, I hated all of my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will master all of which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also was vanity. So I turned about and I gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. Ain't that the truth? You guys see what he's saying? I worked my butt off. And who know I got to give all of this to someone who didn't work for any of it. Will they appreciate it? Maybe verse 22, what a man has from all the what has a man from all the toil and striving of the heart which with he with which he toils beneath the sun. He's so poetic. It's pretty it's like drama. You're like Solomon just calm down. Verse 23, for all of his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Here's what he's saying. No matter how hard we work for something, it can be squandered by those that come after. Look at the generations of the world. Why is one generation swing so far to the other side of the last generation? It's because where there can be generational marriage in our world... There's generational divorce. That's where we can't understand why our parents did the things the way that they did. And instead of asking, we just say, you are old-fashioned and crazy. We need to do it this way. And then the older generation is like, you are going to screw your life up. Don't you want some help? And then they go, fine, go do it. And then they go do it, and then you get, and it's just like this cycle. Remember, Solomon's just talking about life is this cycle. Under the sun, it's a downward spiral to nothingness. It's heavy, but it's worth really considering. When you know that no matter how hard you do, how hard you work, that it can be squandered by those that come after, it causes a couple of things that are not good. A spirit of entitlement 
This is mine. I worked for this. You don't deserve it. You go out and earn it. Now, is there some truth to that? Yes. But is there also, does it bring about a spirit of pride within yourself? And does it look down on those that are coming up? Yes. No matter how much you may, and then it says at the end, his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in night, his heart does not rest. No matter how much you make, you're still stressed out about it. Who's going to come and get it? That's the temporariness of the things that we do. The second thing is, no matter what we do, there is oppression. There is oppression. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Again, I saw all of the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, and just to let you know, chapters about 4, 5, and 6 is really talking about this whole toil and working. So we're picking out a few verses, but it's poetry. And so, and, and it's, it's circular. So Solomon is kind of talking in circles. He's going like this, looping up, and then he'll cross what he just talked about, and then he'll do a new thing, and then he'll cross it again and cross it again. And so we're picking a few points that he makes, but chapters four through six, it's at length what we're talking about. So oppression in the, here's another glitch in the system, in the under the sun system, there's oppression. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not been, who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Now, listen for a sec. Solomon was a king. He was the head of a system. The, the uh, Jewish, the, the Israelite kingdom, he was the king. He's talking about the oppressive systems, of one of which he probably saw stuff in his own kingdom. But he, remember in ple- the pleasure talk last week, pleasure cruise? How, anybody? Bible 201, how many wives did Solomon end up having? One million. One billion dollars. 700. He had 700 wives. They were princesses. How many kingdoms did he have, did he have like some loose affiliation with? Not loose, he was married to the princess of the kingdom. He was talking, I mean, he looked around. There were, he had 700 firsthand knowledge kingdoms or seven 700 kingdoms that he had firsthand knowledge of there was no one to comfort them no matter how hard you work you don't ever get the notice or praise that you actually deserve when you're an oppressive system someone's always out to steal your idea someone's out to steal your mojo and so what do you got to do? Well, you got to take it from somebody else before it gets taken from you. You got to get what you can while you can because it's temporary. So you might as well get it. And you got to do what you got to do to get it. This causes gossip. This causes slander. Slander means murder with your words. Oh, I don't, I don't, I never hurt someone. Someone might say, well, I was in Woods Coffee the other day, and I was studying. Because if you're a pastor, that's where you go, because it's like the Christian embassy. The pastoral embassy is like Woods Coffee, Um, or any coffee shop in this town. But I was in there studying, waiting for someone to have a meeting. And it's funny, because you can can have a private conversation in in a coffee shop, which I do, and meet with people. But one thing that Americans are, we don't know if this is about us when we're here, but when you go to other parts of the world, you think, am I as loud as that person? We loud, y'all. And so I'm in there woods the other day studying, and I hear this guy. And I, I, I was like, oh, I, I'm trying to get stuff done, so I put my headphones in. I heard him over my headphones. And so finally I kind of like, glance over and I'm like okay so there's a business meeting it's this guy this gal at a table 
this dude was talking so much smack about a coworker to another coworker. That's suppression in the system. You guys see what I'm saying? You got to get what you can. So how do you do it? You oppress someone else. And the best way to oppress someone else is to talk about them to someone else who you have an ear of. How many people are getting stuff in the mail right now about the upcoming elections? Okay, the way to get voted when they say, you know, there, there's the saying, uh, get, keeping the office is different than getting the office. And getting the office, I think it's in Yellowstone, the show Yellowstone, it says it's a no-sum game. You do what you got to do to get what you want. And I was listening to this dude, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. I would, I would, I would hate working with you. Because if you're talking that much smack about someone to them, imagine what the, is it different when it's to their face? It's just this is, what, this is what Solomon is saying. And so what he says is, um, you got to take it from someone else. Here's what he says. The only way to avoid corruption and oppression of some sort under the sun is not to be born at all. He's saying no matter what. No matter what job you have, no matter what friend group you roll in, no matter what, in this life, you're going to have this going on. Now, we'll get to how to navigate it, but he's just calling it for what it is. There's oppression. Third thing is there's competition. Look, we move down a few more verses. uh, Actually, just to the next one. Chapter 4, verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. This is called keeping up with the Joneses, or if we can reel it in and just be real, real. This is keeping up with the Joneses or the church down the street. This is, this is what they're doing, and this, so this is what we got to do. This is what looks good on them. This, I wanna, this is what will look good on us. Competition is the craziest thing because it always comes from the wrong motives, the wrong goals. It says, as long as I do better than that guy, I'm doing good. Like, who set the, that's just such a low bar of success. All you got to do is beat the person next to you, the business down the street, the dude over there, the church over there, and you're doing good. But that's the reality of how we interact with the things that we toil for and strive after. This comes from a heart of insecurity. And then at the end right there, he says, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. What does that mean? This is what, he, this is what it means. Competition is real, and laziness is not the answer. When you're just like, dude, I'm just not even, pfft, I quit. I'm just going to do nothing. This world is messed up. So I'm just going to do nothing and let, just let it be and not get engaged. Now it says the fool folds his hands. And in folding your hands, it will eat your own flesh. You will be, you will be worse. You, we don't know how to engage with these things. The last thing, then we'll move to having a right understanding. The last thing is there's corruption. So there's everything we do is temporary in this under-the-sun system. Everything In everything, there's oppression. Somebody's getting held down. We see it. They, 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 things come up. There's big things in our world right now that have resurfaced, and that's great, but we're trying to, how do we navigate these things in a healthy way? Those are the questions we need to be asking. Because they're there. How do we navigate this stuff in the right way? There's an oppressive system. There's competition. I just need to beat this person, and then I'll be doing good. And then lastly, he says there's corruption. Skip down or turn the page over to chapter 5, verses 8 through 16. And he says this, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of the justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. Like you see all of this? Don't be surprised. For the high official is watched by a higher official, 
and yet there are higher officials over them. But this is all gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivating fields. It's like there's this system, and there's always somebody over that person. At the end, there's a king, and the king's going to use this whole corrupt system to get to cultivate the fields, to make the economy go. It's like he's just saying, like, don't be surprised. That's how the world is under the sun. Verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, and he who loves wealth with, with his income. Let me read that again. If you love money. Now, I grew up poor. You don't have to raise your hand, but anybody else in here grow up poor? boy. Thank God for mom. My single mom, she did the best she could with what she had. She worked real hard, multiple jobs to raise me and my sister, but we were poor. I was the kid that had every scholarship available for everything we did. Oh, you can't play soccer? That's okay. We have a special scholarship for JJ. He can just come. I was on the ski team. I grew up in Aspen, Colorado. Not the easiest place to be poor, but uh, it's actually not too bad because there's so many rich people with so much excess, and, and you find someone with any heart of generosity, and, and people love, and they would be like, here, Jay, I got all the hand-me-downs and all the stuff. We grew up poor. I don't know why I even said that. Oh, and I coveted things. Bad. I remember, I used to watch people, some of you have heard me say this before, I used to watch people drive by when I was waiting for the bus. I, I got my first car when I, like the year I met Steph and went to college and, uh, and like I had a job and could finally afford, I think I paid like a grand for my first, it was a little white Honda CRX, it was, I was balling in that thing. You literally got weighed down into it. The truck I drive now is just like a standard size truck, and I see one of those, and I was like, good Lord, those are little. <laughs> I wanted people's stuff so bad because I thought if I could get that, I would be happy. I had a hole in me. And I worked hard for stuff. I know people that have won the Olympic Games in their sport, and when they were on the podium getting their gold medal, the suicidal thoughts were running rampant through their brain and in their heart. Here's the problem with this, is no matter where you woke up this morning, we have an attachment to the things that we've worked for, the stuff that we have. There's corruption. And if you love your wealth, if you love money, no matter how much you get, it won't be enough. If you, even if you work hard, you feel like you deserve it, you'll never get what you feel like you deserve under the sun because there's always going to be elements of corruption. There's always going to be elements of competition because God is not a part of that system. So don't be surprised when there's something missing. He, he sums it all up in this one verse. Remember I told you there was well-driven nails? There's, listen to this one. I think I, I, I read it at the, at the beginning. All of the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. That's under the sun. So what does it look like in the radical middle that we've been talking about? Where we realize that we are all on this, this system, this linear system, because we have to realize that these things exist and we don't escape them. We have to learn how to navigate. We see things under the sun for what they are. We are to work. It's God ordained. Work is hard. It's a byproduct of sin. When sin entered the world, work didn't start. It just there were forces against you when you worked that came into play. You tilled the ground, 
Now all of a sudden, you had to fight the thorns. There were going to be weeds. There were things against you. We are to work. Work is hard, and laziness is not an option. If we're honest, we're tempted by consumerism. How many days till Black Friday? Somebody knows. That's a rhetorical. We need a couple of things around the building. We need a new TV for the lobby. Yeah, we're getting it on Black Friday. Consumerism is a tempting thing. Here's another thing. We want to make a difference in this world, do we not? But we also want to do it while building our own brands. We find ourselves torn. Who am I doing this for? For me or for someone that can waste it? For someone who didn't work hard for it? For someone who doesn't know what it is to to have to sacrifice? But God's desire is that we actually would play by different rules because we live under a different ruler. We do not just live under the sun, but we live in the sun. And if I could take it one step further, we don't just live in the sun, but we walk with the sun. It's this place. If I had my dry board, I would write the linear line of life. Wherever you are on that, if you're the beginning, you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, all the way up to average. We talked about it, what, 78? 78 is 86. Is that what I said? Thanks, buddy. 86 years old is the average lifespan. So we're all on there somewhere. And then there's ups and downs, so we're all on there somewhere. But no matter where you are, there's the opportunity to live connected to the sun. And he's saying this, you got to walk this linear line. You got to do it. He gave you control. This is life under the sun. You have a job. You have a family. Here are some choices that you've made. Here are some consequences you have to walk through. Here's your life. No one can do it for you. But Jesus would say, but I'll go with you. That is what it means to live in the sun and walk with the sun. Let me read you guys something that Jesus said. Might as well go to the source. And it's funny because if you believe these words that I'm about to read you, uh, Ecclesiastes is going to be all of a sudden way more, have way more gold in it than it did before. Let me read to you something Jesus said. It's in Matthew, and what's called, in in chapter uh, 6, and what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been with us for a while, we did a series through the Sermon on the Mount called Uprooted a couple of years ago. But let me read something to you about work and worry and all of this stuff, okay? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up, this is Jesus speaking. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal this corruption, this system. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Then he says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do you escape the corruption and the living in this oppressive system? You don't, you don't, um, You start investing in different things. And that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean, okay, um, I got to, I got to do something for God. I got to do, that's applying the same logic to the oppressive system of work to spiritual things. God wants to do a new work on your insides. He wants your treasure to be different. Then he said, this is what he's mean. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, the, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? All right. The eye is the lamp of the body. What you look at and desire fills your 
fills your body with that thing. So what your focus is, the eye is the light of the body. You say, I want that. That's your desire. That becomes your desire. And so he's saying if it's full of, if it's good, it's good. If it's dark, it's dark. You cannot serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He's saying you can't serve both systems. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Then he says this, Consider the lilies of the field, how they neither, uh, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Let, check this out. Yet I tell you, even Solomon. Wait a minute. Jesus must have known full well all the things that Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes. The things that he was working for the things that he was trying to fulfill his life with. And this is Jesus' answer. You're investing in the wrong things. Yet even Solomon in all his glory, which was the biggest glory of any kingdom of all time, was not arrayed like one of these little flowers in a field that you could stop and smell and enjoy. Then he says this, O you of little faith, Therefore, don't get caught up in this system saying, how much can I make? What am I going to eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What shall we drive? Where do I live? How many properties do I have? It's not saying don't learn how to invest wisely. He's saying don't look for meaning in the things that you can go and do. But he says, because this is what the world looks after. And your heavenly father knows what you need, knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. It's a paradigm shift. The radical middle isn't a a new product. It's a new perspective. Jesus wants us to see things for what they are and interpret things differently. He wants us to understand that when we read this, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind, that we would take that to heart. Better is one handful with contentment and quietness than two handfuls of just chaos in your work and in your toil and in your striving. Then he says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer. Whether This is the verse that I built the entire series around this one verse. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. What does the laborer know that the king doesn't know? Who owns a business? We own a business in our household. There's something about owning a business that's hard. You don't just say no at the end of the day. When you work for someone... You're like, done with that job, and you don't even think about it till the next day, and then you walk in, and you're like, why isn't all this stuff set up for me? You know, I, was, I came here expecting that everything to be ready for me, because you're not as invested as the owner. So this isn't saying to run a business is worse than being a laborer, but there's something that the king can learn from the laborer. Because when you own a business, you think about it at home. So actually, you need to learn how to have healthy boundaries. Otherwise, it'll eat you and your family and everybody apart, the stress that you have. Just a ball of stress all the time. But you watch people. That's why business, that's why there's amazing books. And people who have done business and navigated it well, you bring them into your life and you ask them, hey, how do you do this? How do you say yes to your family and all of this stuff? And you, you learn. You don't become an expert. You just, you just learn. But there's something that the laborer knows that the king does, doesn't. He knows that no matter what you do, you can experience emptiness. But also, no matter what you do, you can find meaning. No matter what you do, you can do it for the wrong reasons. 
but no matter what you do, you can do it for the right reasons. No matter how much money you make, you can be poor. And no matter how much money you make, you can be rich. Talking with a dude last night, Steph and I went down to a snowboard movie premiere, and I was talking to someone that I've known for a few years, and he was talking about looking at his daughter and watching her grow, and he just said he was, he's, he's living under the, under the sun, you know what I mean? But he was talking about this, uh, seeing his daughter and, and trying to, trying to like make the most in, in, of life, and he was like, I, I'm so rich, I'm so wealthy, you know, he's trying to trying to go after the right things and find meaning in the right things, and he's on his journey. Contentment isn't found in a certain place. This is what Solomon's getting after. It can actually be found any place. Because no matter where you are, Jesus is with you, if you want him to be. No matter where on that line you are, he's with you. He's not saying, get promoted, and then we'll hang out. He's not saying, quit drinking, and then we'll hang out. He's not saying, um, be a better father, and then we'll hang out. He's saying, no matter where you are, no matter what you're striving after, if you go after these things, you're not going to find what it is that I created you to find. But no matter where you are, Jesus would say, I will be with you if, you if you want me to. He doesn't force himself upon you, but he always invites you to invite him into your world. I want to close this morning, and I just couldn't get around it because this came to mind, and I read it, and it just blew me away. So I want to give you guys an example of all of what this looks like in a person's life, a person that the Bible calls a great person but he was really messed up and God met him in a really cool way. Would you jot this down or we'll put it on the screen or turn to it in your Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter eight. We're going to end with looking at this dude. This guy's name was, so we're going back to the beginning. Genesis chapter, excuse me, Genesis 28. Jacob. Jacob and Esau. And is this familiar to anybody? That's okay. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Jacob and Esau, they were two brothers. Their dad was promised um, that the Messiah was going to come through their lineage and that they were going to be this nation, this ra- all this stuff, these radical promises from God. So then um, um, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac. Jacob's dad has twins, Jacob and Esau. Esau, man's man. Jacob, um, like a softer character. Not as, not, as hard as, not as hard as his brother. Not as manly as his brother. But his dad calls him in because you pass a blessing from one generation to another, something we should learn in our society, how to pass blessing and how to receive it. That's a subject matter for another day. But he passes the blessing to his son, and Jacob wants it. As a matter of fact, Jacob's mom wants Jacob to get it, so they trick dad. And he goes in, he gets the blessing. Esau was like MMA. He's going to kill his brother. He's so mad. He was the older brother. It's supposed to be his. So mom and dad say to Jacob, you need to get out of town. You need to run, because if Esau finds you, he's going to kill you. Esau was so mad, he rejected his family, went off, and you can read about it in the Old Testament. Jacob was running for his life after he lied, cheat, and stole his way to the top, the system under the sun. And it says when he was running, and we'll pick it up in, in chapter 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, that's where he lived, and he went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Basically, there was no more daylight to keep running that day, so this is where they're going to camp. And taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head, and he laid down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder 
set up on earth. And the top of it reached the heaven, reached to heaven. And behold, there were angels of God were going, ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said to him, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And you and your offspring and in you, all of your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God is so awesome. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and this is what he said. Surely God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. And then he says he got up in the morning, that stone that was under his head, he set it there. We call it, we planted a flag in his own life. He was like, God is in this place. Which place was God in? He wasn't in the place when he became king. He wasn't in the place where he, if he worked hard, he, was the, he met Jacob at his worst. That's the radical middle. This land, this barren land, running from something on your way to something else, and God meets you right in the middle. And he says, this is who I am, and this is who you are. I love that story. He was running for his life and God met him. And he says, if you walk with me, you will find what it is that you're truly looking for. It was at this very same place that years later that God actually, you know where the word Israel comes from? It was a person's name before it was a nation, before it was a country, before it was a people group. It was a person's name. You know who got the name Israel? Jacob. His name, Jacob, meant heel catcher, like trickster, sneaker, sneakster. Sneakster? Sure. That's what his name meant. And he's back in this same place, not in the castle, not on the throne, but in this place in the middle of nowhere, God took him and he says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name will be Israel for a nation of people will come from you. It was in that place his life changed. How did his life change? He quit living for himself and he started living for God and for others how do you escape how do you not get worked by your work you learn to work with Jesus because then your world doesn't revolve around you it revolves around Jesus and other people it was there that he learned what we're told in the New Testament, that the greatest wealth you can have, godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to spend the time, we got one more next week, we're going to talk about the rhythms of life. Next week's title, uh, Coffins and Cradles. We're going to talk about the cycle of life because it's another one of the main themes that comes up in Ecclesiastes. And then for the final two weeks, we're going to talk specifically on starting and establishing some healthy rhythms in our life that's laid out through Ecclesiastes to help us to not walk under the oppressive systems of this world, but to walk with Jesus as we navigate this stuff. We'll get there in two weeks. So I want to hang this one up with you guys asking four questions of yourself this week. Jot them down. Number one, am I content? Only you can answer that. If you got to be honest, like Solomon's honest, are you content? Are you full? What am I looking for? That's what he said. He was looking for meaning. He was looking for purpose. Where am I looking? Are you looking in the bottom of a bottle? Are you looking in the eyes of another human being? Are you looking at your worth through in the mirror? Where are you looking? And the fourth question is, where should I look next? Solomon looked everywhere. And, the, and I believe what Jesus is saying by the Holy Spirit is, I see where you've been looking. 
There's been songs written about it. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I have crossed these city walls. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. Looking for love in all the wrong places. All the, she used to call me on my cell phone. The old people won't know that one. I'm, for, I'm like, I'm barely hanging on in the 40s. I know this one. Where should, I, should you look next? Man, if I could tell you something from the bottom of my heart, I would say this. I know what it is to eat and eat and look around and still be broken. And I know what it is to finally look into the eyes of someone who actually knows more about me than I do. To where I just looked at him, I'm like, Lord, I'm just trying to navigate this thing called life. I know that I only have so much time. I know that there are some that are coming after me. I want them to be better off than I am. I want to receive with, with honor and grace the things that people would bestow upon me. I'm just trying to figure it out. That's, the, that's what having a relationship with Jesus, but it's saying, Lord, would you help me? And it's getting up, and it's opening his word and just being like, Lord, speak to me. Help me to navigate this day, this week. Help my kids to navigate school. Help us to navigate how to do this church and take care of people, and that's, that's what it is. But we can look all sorts of places before we actually look to Jesus. And I would just say to you, if you take an honest assessment of these things and you turn to Jesus, you're going to find yourself walking in this radical new place. It's not way over here. It's not way over here. It's sort of like this middle ground. Jesus says it's a path. It's just wide enough for you and him. And he'll lead you. And he promises that. That's my encouragement. So, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for shooting us straight. And um, I thank you, Lord, that you would allow someone like Solomon, who had it all, but that you would allow him to write all that stuff down so we could read it and we could be reminded that, oh man, he may have been richer than me. He may have had more stuff than me, but he feels the same as me. So we thank you for speaking truth to us, even when it hurts a little bit. Because um, you can't clean the cut until you know you got one. So Lord, we give you this week. We all have stuff we have to do this week that's going to be hard. We have work to do. We have school to do, assignments to do. We have people that we need to work with that we don't necessarily get along with. We have tasks to do that we don't really want to do. But would you help us to do them with a new perspective? Would you give us strength to do the things that are in front of us? Would you give us the ability to not to take ourselves out of the center of the, the circle and, and, and allow you and others to be there? Help us to work with the heart that you would have us um, have, Lord. So we love you. We sing this song to you as a response to your word and because you're awesome. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.